The views, information, or opinions expressed in this episode are solely those of individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, our funders, or any of the organizations affiliated with this project. Welcome to a Seeds of Wellbeing Experts in the Field podcast, featuring people working in their fields of expertise to provide support for agriculture producers in Hawaii, in the United States, and in some cases around the world. These podcasts are made possible by a grant from the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, also known as CETAR, and the Seeds of Wellbeing, or SO project, and is supported by a grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture, and the Hawaii Department of Agriculture. It's, it's, it's interesting watching this where Hawaii has become kind of the king of elsewhere. Um, our food's from elsewhere. Our supplies are from, everything's from elsewhere. Our, our, our main economy is driven from people from elsewhere. And, and so how do we, I think some of our first steps towards caring for our own and creating a future for our own is feeding our own. In this episode, we speak with Chad Buck, owner and CEO of Hawaii Food Service Alliance, or HFA. If you have perishable foods in your home, chances are it got there because of the work of HFA to obtain and distribute food throughout the Hawaiian Islands. We talk with Chad about lessons learned from COVID, about food security, disaster planning, and ways Hawaii ag producers can work with HFA to get their products into stores throughout the islands. Now let's hear more from Chad. Um, today we're here with Chad Buck from Hawaii Food Service Alliance. So I think uh, Chad, let's let's start by just giving if you'd give a, a quick introduction of about you and and Hawaii Food Service Alliance and kind of how you got there. Sure. So um, Hawaii Food Service Alliance is the state's largest handler of um, highly perishable products coming into Hawaii to all islands. Um, we have FISMA compliant facilities on all the major islands. We have about 540 staff members that specialize in uh, food logistics uh, on a FISMA platform. Um, we also have consolidation facilities in Long Beach, just uh, across the river from the port of Long Beach and the port of LA. We ship on every Matson sailing, every Pesha sailing from every port every week. And we're on every Young Brother sailing in between the islands um, that there are uh, throughout the week as well. Um, serving mostly exclusively uh, grocers clubs and retailers, C-store chains. Um, although we also supply the larger distributors in the state that service restaurants and institutions uh, with highly perishable, um, we fly out of mostly LAX uh, for the air freight coming in. Um, but there are certain seasons that we'll fly out of San Diego, LAX, San Francisco, and Vegas. Um, sometimes we'll bring in stone fruit or peaches and so on from uh, the Pacific Northwest or even from Canada. Um, but we uh, do that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Uh, with food coming into the state. And am I right that it's your baby you started it? And is that true? Yeah. So we started the the, the kind of formal start for the distribution side. Um, I was brokering 
from 90, uh, the end of 97 um, into uh, the beginning of 2002 and then started taking title to products and handling products and growing that um, on a very small scale in 2002, we started our first employee um, at a, you know, a Costco card table in the basement of the house. And that grew to the point where um, my wife was working her job and walk, you know, would walk into the house and not recognize or know who was who anymore inside the house. And so she gently uh, encouraged us to go find a place <laughs> that might be more suitable for a growing company. And so we, we went from that first employee um, to our 540 some. We hit that uh, about a week ago. So let me ask you, you seem very passionate about what you do from some times I've heard you speak. Um, and so what what inspired you to start the company? You know, I, I I think entrepreneurs are kind of cut out of a, a unique piece of cloth. And so my um, entire life, I think, you know, from a child and then always wanting to do something, create something, and then um, working at a variety of jobs. There wasn't a job that I had that I didn't try to figure out how, how I would do this if this were mine. Um, food became a passion when um, I came to Hawaii as a teenager um, on a one-way ticket because I couldn't afford a round trip to kind of check things out. So I kind of, you know, burned the ships and um, showed up and started working immediately and uh, became a teenage father um, a few months after that and was working three jobs just trying to keep food on the table there weren't the safety nets that you see today with food banks and different projects and Aloha Harvest and a lot of the great programs that are much needed across the state. And so food was always kind of front and center of uh, the, the need during that time to, to feed my growing family. Um, and so that became a passion and my life kind of went in a variety of directions and different jobs. But when I landed in the food side, um, before I started HFA, I was a regional director for a broadliner and meaning a, 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 a broadliner that sells everything from salt and pepper shakers to paper goods to uh, steak and, you know, uh, dry goods and so on. And um so I kind of got introduced to the logistics and so on through that aspect. And, and then when we started HFA, um, we, you, you, the passion for food not only went through our programs and to our staff, we have uh, free groceries for our staff, bread, milk, and eggs, and a variety of other things that um, are set up Thursday through Sunday where they can take their families, come through, grab what they need. There's no cost for, there's no price for that. They don't have to pay for that. Um, and different programs and outreaches that we have, and you know, we're, we're uh, one of the largest donors to the Hawaii food banks and the food banks across the state. Um, last year, we were close to $3 million worth of donations to the food banks and those in need. And that, that kind of stems from knowing what it's like not to have food, knowing what it's like not to be able to, or worrying about whether you're going to be able to feed your children and your family. 
and and so that kind of left a mark from that early teenage years as a teenage father um that never leaves you those feelings never leave you and so um it kind of that that passion for helping the community on as it relates to food was instilled or kind of planted in a at a very young age at a very tender age with uh uh, a whole lot weighing in the balance for my family and I. So that that's kind of where that passion comes from. Understood. Um, well, your passion comes out in a number of ways and maybe we'll hear, hear some more of that come out as we speak. Um, <laughs> there's, I was, I was looking at your website and, and preparation for our talk. And I, one of the big issues that OAEI producers have voiced that we've interviewed um, that have either completed the interviews or we've talked to one-on-one have indicated that, infrastructure distribution um and especially during covid as they had as folks had to shift right um from serving a handful of of larger customers to kind of a lot of people (laughs) one one one-on-one um to in order to survive and and put food on their table um so that I, i saw on the website that that you have a section called supporting local food and it's programs for hawaii local food producers um so I just thought maybe we could talk to that for the sake of, of the core of the Seeds of Wellbeing project and and some of the concerns and issues we've heard heard, heard ag producers voice. So just what can you tell more tell us more about that program? Sure. So um, I like to refer to HFA as a, a, a platform um, that we can uh, producers can bolt on to and. Uh, enjoy the services that we offer. Most bakers want to bake, kimchi makers want to make kimchi. You know, nobody gets into their art or their craft um, because they want to then jump into a truck and sit in traffic and try to get to grocers and clubs. And so um, we distribute, we're in every retailer, every grocer, every club on every island every day. And so with that network or that platform established um we're showing up with when we first started this you know some some bakers and other groups would come on and say hey i've got three items that i sell to as many grocery stores as i can and so i'm imagining what it's like to drive a truck with only three items in it trying to hit windows that are specific to receiving in as many places as you possibly can and how how hard that would be. And so when we take that person's product, we have the cheapest way, the least expensive, most efficient way to go from producer to store shelf. And so when we're taking that item to a grocer, that item is sitting with a, a couple to a few hundred other items Um, unique items that are going to those stores and so on. And so that shared cost and that carbon footprint, all the, all the cost of having to mobilize or take your product from point A to point B is shared across a variety of products to give it a lower cost to get there. It's fewer trucks on the road, less carbon, less fuel, et cetera. And, and so we started that um, not only on the trucking and delivery, but also on the consolidation. So if somebody on Maui or somebody on uh, the Big Island or another island um, or uh, has a need or wants to go statewide, will also run their products in between the islands via, via Young Brothers or Air. 
Um, and so we, we enable that uh, baker or kimchi maker to make their product. We take title to it at their dock. And so there's, the sale is done as well. And so we agree on a price to buy it from them so they don't have to. It's, it's right at their dock. Our truck pulls up. We buy it. Um, sign the you know sign the invoice. It's ours now, and we manage that across the island and across the state. What's a little bit unusual in that platform is that um, no grocer, club, or retailer calls us and says, "I want ten cases of this and five cases of that and a pallet of something else." Nobody calls us and asks that. We we literally manage that product, determine how much that store should take. Um, buy SKU, buy particular uh, each item and deliver it into the store with an invoice based on what we feel that store needs. And the reason we can do that is we guarantee the sale. If it codes out, if it's damaged, um, we buy it back at 100%. And so it's a guaranteed sale program. Um, store has zero risk. We're carrying all that risk. And that's that's on local eggs. Um, shell eggs, uh, uh, dairy products, and bakery products, and and everything—not just the national brands coming in, but our uh, much of our local items as well. So we manage that, um, and so that allows that that producer to be statewide. In some cases, we move product to the West Coast for them if they're starting to export, um, and so we just kind of take that piece of you know. Uh, uh, and and service them in, in 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 providing that for them to get to market. Yeah, sounds like you're taking on the risk both for the big box store. I'll say, let's just Nate, I'll yeah. just use Costco as an example. So you're taking on that risk for Costco and the producer. It sounds like on both Correct. sides. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So so the 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 club or grocer or retailer doesn't have a risk. Um, once we buy it from the producer, it's ours. We don't go return it. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're managing that risk. The nice part about it is we have over 20 years of doing this. We have tremendous data, um, over the years of, you know, what does this sell like on this particular, on an EBT weekend, on a, uh, on a holiday, if it's on an end cap, if it's at the rent, you know, all those types of information that we weigh in on determining how we, order that item and the volumes we order for the, for the time that we're ordering for. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like a great program. And, and so if, if I'm a producer in Hawaii and I have a product and I imagine it has to be a certain volume of product for it to be um, something you'd, you'd consider, but if I wanted to get involved in such a program, what, what would that process look like? That, that would simply be reaching out. Um, it'd be easiest to go to the website, hfahawaii.com. Um, click on the, you know, contact us and, and, and reach out. Um, the nice part about it is now this is, you know, you may not be able to distribute that yourself profitably because you only have a couple items that we would take that item, particularly for, you know, we, we do some one-offs for our customers. We try to stay with just programs statewide, but you'd be surprised. One of the things that I think people may not know that would be helpful is many of the grocers and clubs would go, Hey, you're a local producer. You're just starting. We realize that you're not able to uh, 
sell to our entire chain. You might not be able to sell to fulfill even one of the islands that we're on, but we can start you where we think you'll fit best. And so that'll help you start to build the scale, start to get used to the volumes, and then turn on store by store or club by club and roll that out. So if you have an excellent product, um, the grocers and the clubs typically want to work with you and, and allow you to kind of grow scale, um, particularly if they know that they're going to have consistent deliveries, someone's responsible for it, someone, you know, we take the liability for it. And so, you know, the, the, one of the beauties of us doing that too is we're, you know, we're a one-stop shop for the grocer, right? Anything on any island goes wrong, they got one number to remember on all those products. And so that that helps the grocer have a comfort level if we take a local producer in that, hey, we're betting on them, they're betting on us, and then the grocer's betting on us that this will go well because we've got a really long history of that. Are there any particular products that are of interest or that you're searching or would like to have um, on your list of things that you can provide? Yeah, so... Um, you know, it's interesting. We just uh, um, came alongside uh, Mana Up as um, founder level uh, sponsor. Um, so we are looking forward to Vitality was one of the, that's a kombucha from Maui uh, with amazing product. Um, and, and so we're, it really doesn't matter a whole lot to us. We typically want to specialize in, uh, highly perishable, the difficult. Um, and that's more of a business decision. You want to get really good at something difficult and you don't want to do something that everybody and their, their uh, brother can do. And so specializing in that, we like the highly perishable. We like the refrigerated with any, anything that's highly perishable is typically refrigerated in, in some way. And, and so we try to stay around that. Now we, we're just starting to move more and more on the ag side, local ag. We're the largest distributor of local beef um, and so uh, and, and local proteins. And so we're 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 growing in that. Um, we just started a program with uh, Hawaii Farming. Um, that's the Keiki Cukes coming out of uh, Kamuela, Hawaii on the Big Island. Um, we're we're starting other programs where we're going, how do we take this because the need for the states, the, the state and the islands to move towards a more sustainable food secure future, how do we start taking the farmers onto this platform? And, um, and so we're actually developing a whole suite of things for the farmers and wanting to kind of move towards kind of a hub aggregation and then value add and then to grocers, clubs and retailers and then rinse and repeat every day. Well, speaking of food security <laughs> and sustainability, that's maybe a good segue into um, some of your other passions that I was speaking about and I've, I've heard you talk about. Um, I guess just to frame it, right, there's there are a lot of concerns, especially through COVID times um, related to our just-in-time inventory system that we have. Um, and, of course, it was developed for reasons that make all sorts of sense, Um for cost and efficiency, but it puts us in a pretty precarious position in the middle of the Pacific with only five days of food supplies on the islands and uh, and with the islands only producing about 5% of what we eat. So I think um, 
I think if you want to just talk a little bit about your what you see from from your perspective and some of your concerns, um, I think that might be helpful. Sure. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned the five percent of the food, and and um, you know, I, there, there's there's been some probably some feathers ruffled um, when I've I've uh, referred to that as uh, irrelevant, meaning the five percent is irrelevant. Um, you're not going to do anything with 5% of anything. And, and so I, it's, it's, I, I don't think it's, it has a whole lot of mind share in the public that we are desperately, desperate, desperately, um, dependent on others to feed our own people. Um, I think that is a, uh, very dangerous place to be, particularly as we're moving into, uh, climate change and sea rise and, um, more extreme weather. Um, we're, we're seeing that it, even, it makes even less sense now from the weaponization of food with Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine and what's that, what that's done to the grain and oil markets. And, and I mean, food oils as far as uh, edible oils, as well as crude oil and so on. And so when, when you, you, you take that and, and the list of countries now that are, that are, uh, uh, banning any type of either all or either some or all exports of food, um, you know, that kind of, that went from, I, I think we're at 20 something now countries that are saying we, we cannot afford to send food anywhere to any place. They stopped the exports. Um, and you just, when you take a look at that, and then if you want to add more insult to injury, you have that higher cost where at a 40 year inflation of food, some you can't make or produce anymore because of the shortages and so on, or it's just out of people's reach. But then you add with Hawaii, we add everything in addition to that food inflation, we take food inflation, we add fuel increase to it. And so you have, we are, most people don't know this, but our, our just because they're not working with the, the, the shipping lines is we are now at the highest level of fuel surcharge, which is over 50% now added to your normal container bills. So if you're, if your container is a $10,000 container, you have a 5,000 plus dollar addition to that just in fuel. And so just for the sake of math. Um, and so you, you add that to get to the, the, the food to the island. And so you're just in a really precarious position that is not somewhere you want to be when all these things are going on. Um, so we started working um, back pre-COVID with uh, Hawaii Emergency Management, Department of Civil Defense, Department of Emergency Management, City, County, Honolulu, um, FEMA, and some other organizations, um, government organizations. And then recently in the last about eight months, Department of Defense came on board, um, Naval Postgraduate School and their PhDs rolled in and started meeting. We're the only privately held local company um, or the only local company business meeting with the state and government agencies to work through this. And our, we are encouraging the government agencies to work with the private industry that feed the state every day, tourists included. Um, the state doesn't do that. The feds don't do that. The counties don't do that. They don't have the trucks. They don't have the food. They don't have the resources. They don't have the uh, 
experience as far as what it takes to to take roughly 2,000 containers a week of imported food and getting that across all islands um, twice a week. And so with, with the containers coming in. And so we're encouraging that. In addition to that, um, we've put together what we call a pre-covery pod. And that's just simply, you know, and, and none of this stuff is rocket science. If you know you've got a uh, geographic location that's predisposed to being cut off from uh, extreme weather, hurricane or tidal wave, um, that community is going to be in desperate need after a storm. And um, that's not something typically that you have a lot of time to prepare for. Many of those communities that are predisposed to a natural disaster are also food insecure. And so we, we put the first recovery pod, which is basically uh, an ocean container filled with about 135,000 meal packets that are basically freeze-dried camping food that lasts 25 years. So you don't have the it, it's kind of in case of emergency, open container and serve the public. Um, you know, I, I I like to add this typically when talking about this is we as a state went through COVID for about, especially the first year. I don't, I don't know if we could have handled COVID any worse as far as watching some of the stuff. And we don't have supplies. We don't have masks. We don't have sanitizer. We're all, all the different things that are just kind of basic needs. And then the execution on the go, you know, we're testing. Well, no, we're not really testing. And, you know, all the stuff that was going on, if you take the times that they've fumbled the ball through COVID, and that was all in slow motion, we could see it from the East Coast coming our way and, and, and literally just watch these waves come through. But we typically had weeks notice and, and so on. You take that with a hurricane and then take food out of the equation. Each fumble is so much more costly. And when you talk about families now that, you know, in COVID, everybody kind of gained weight. Um, <laughs> so, you know, because there wasn't a whole lot to do. Everybody was in their home. Take food out of the equation. Have a father or mother or parents trying to tell their kids that we don't know where that next meal is coming from. Everybody's hungry. The lights, you know, you, you take a look at that. And then go, what do you think the public's reaction gonna, is going to be to that? Do you think there'll be civil unrest? Do you think, you know, uh, Lenin said every uh, society's three skipped meals away from chaos. That's absolutely true. And so how do we as a state not have a plan to go forward? Um, we have some really crappy plans on the books. I've seen them. They're still being worked on. Um, they're mostly fiction. And they're not tied to the systems yet of um, bring, you know, all the existing food capacities that we have to get it to the public. So we're, we're involved in all that. And in, in, as our way of knowing that we're accountable to the communities that we serve. And so how can we take our skill set and, and help those around us that are either needing it now or will need it. And, and, and so that's kind of, how we got involved in it and where and, and, and where we're at right now and still working with these agencies. Well, I think as an infrastructure company, I, I expect that you have the best sense of what it would take to actually manage something in such a crisis. So like the, the pre-covery pods, for example, it sounds like you right. helped spearhead that. Yeah. You know, it, it was, um, 
we, in fact, we just uh, had the ceremony over at YNI, uh, YNI Coast Comprehensive. And because that's an, that, that is a community that will get cut off from resupply. Um, and we just had the ceremony where we dedicated the pre-covery pod um, to the community and city and county was there as well as as well as some legislators, uh, Senate and house and city and county, uh, Dexter Kashida, who's just been a saint and, and a, a real kind of advocate for, for, for getting ahead of things, um, which is almost a oxymoron with, with government. Um, but they, uh, they're looking at, you pre-position these in areas. It's pre-everything, right? Why don't we think just a little bit ahead for once and put these in communities that are going to need. The, the cool thing about uh, Naval Post graduate and the DOD getting involved is they looked at uh, in the meetings and actually drew maps around, here's the bases on Oahu and the communities that we serve in, we should make sure they're okay. If they're okay, we're okay kind of thing. And so they took this pre-covery concept and went, well, this is where we think they could go. This and, and so they're they're starting to kind of put this into more of their planning. And so the 2023 budget uh, for the city and county, we're hoping that we'll see five to seven of these. And then hopefully the neighbor islands will do something similar through their civil defense and through the counties. That's great. There was a YouTube video. I think I'll share in the notes that talks a little bit about about the the first one that you you folks just launched. Um, yeah. Speaking of videos, there's also an interesting one that helped bring me to to reach out to you, which is called Ketchup and M and M's, which yeah. <laughs> which yeah. speaks to how how close we were to not having any food during during COVID times. So I think I'll put some, put that link in as well. But um, let me ask you have we've we've experienced a number of hurricanes here we've experienced tsunamis we've been through covid now hopefully the other end of it um do you think we've learned any lessons from all that we i think we've learned that we forget all the lessons that we've learned uh, unfortunately um i i was you know uh, tulsi gabbard one of her office one of her staff members was in my office 2 weeks before the state shut down and uh, we were talking about supply chains and a variety of things. And, and he said, uh, you know, we're really close to pulling the trigger. And, and I, I think we're going to the state is going to shut down to all tourism. And I, 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 I gave him an audible laugh and said, OK, you know, and and but, you know, I don't I don't think that'll ever happen. I can't imagine that we're going to have the backbone necessary to do that. And two weeks later, it was, you know, hey, this Tuesday night, uh, everybody needs to be out of the hotels and on your planes and out of here. And we watched that happen. And and that gave me hope um, that we'd be able to do that. I, you know, I during that time when everybody was gone, I think all the tourists were gone. Um, it was an extremely difficult time and the supply chains were tremendously taxed and, and vulnerable to just breaking all together at some, at some points. And there's a tremendous amount of workarounds going around when now there's no planes coming in and what do you do with that? And so we're, you know um, and so we're just kind of working through all that. And then when we started to open up again, not to tourists so much, but we just got our freedom 
you watch for the first time I have school-aged children and and the families are like, hey, we should go to Waikiki. Well, nobody in there, nobody, no, no school-age family get together and say, hey, we think we should go to Waikiki pre-COVID. And so we're like, wow, that'd be amazing. So we go down there. It's beautiful. We're, you know, the kids are surfing and you just had an idea or a glimpse of Hawaii from yesteryear and from the past and the sense of community, the sense of gratefulness for being together and, and the place that we live because now we could enjoy it. And, and so my hope during that time, it was like, man, if we can just keep these lessons and not forget them and start growing more of our own food and caring for ourselves rather than caring for everyone else. And it's, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm full support of tourism and so on, but I think, you know, it's kind of like a pool. You have 10 people in your pool. It's great. You got 500 people in your pool. You probably don't want to know what's in the water. <laughs> and so it's, it's, we're at that point where how many people should be in this pool? We certainly shouldn't be the discount leader. Um, there needs to be a premium to come here and hopefully you're coming to contribute and not take. And, uh, and, and so unfortunately, as we're kind of coming out of COVID, I don't see that. I see those lessons being forgotten. I see it's how fast can we get back to what we're used to in on many fronts. And then I also see the, you know, the, the dismay and the just, you know, the almost, you know, it's, you see the hurt in others eyes where you're looking at it going, we are getting overrun again. And particularly on the neighbor islands. And, and so it's, it's, it's a hard thing to watch right now. And I don't know if we have the political will um, or if we have enough political leadership to actually steer us towards a path that and a future that values our own people and values a future for our children. Well, that's sobering, but, um, yeah. but I think, truth sometimes is um so i i think maybe pre-covery pods maybe a something that came out of yeah realities um i've heard you and others speak about um food system hui's of, of different kinds i think yeah. that's gaining some momentum in a number of ways there's some recent legislation that's passed related to food hubs in support of those so i think we've we've seen some progress in those fronts that that may help with local food movement and sustainability. Um, but, um, other things, I think, I think you've, uh, maybe this isn't, isn't your topic to speak to, but I think you might be involved in some of the work done for a new blueprint for ag. I think having, um, a multidisciplinary group that meets regularly to look at, at some of those issues and, and some of the potential solutions to really come up with a, a plan we can move towards all of us together is is perhaps something that's needed too is that in process do you know yeah and i i'm uh i'm i'm highly critical of uh not a surprise of 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 the state actually taking the necessary actions to move the ball anywhere based on their inability for many, many, many years, decades of getting in front of anything ag. So we do 0.6 of 1% of 
in ag because we don't look at ag as feeding our own people. We, it's just this this kind of fringe almost at this point. And and so I, you know, you'd mentioned the hubs. I, I think one of the things that we're actively involved in is and and believe in it. So if you, you have 7,000 farmers, 7,000 and change farmers in the state, which is a shocking statistic. You shouldn't be able to walk out of your house without tripping over a farmer if there's that many of them, right? And, and the only thing that that really says is they're not farming much. These are really almost micro farmers or niche farmers that are just, they have their own little program going. They're qualified as a farmer. Uh, some are called farmers just because they want to be called farmers so they can live on a big piece of land and build a nice house, but they're not feeding our people. They're not feeding the population. Um, I've I've mentioned multiple times in the different uh, venues that it doesn't impress me that you sell $7 carrots to the rich tourist that's eating at a restaurant in a very expensive hotel or so on. Ag needs to feed the single mom or single dad um, that needs to put fresh food on their table at a price that they can afford. That's the ag we need. And there's some examples of that. Cunea Country Farms, Jason Brandt, he's, he's, he is producing a variety of leafy greens all at lower cost than mainland and doing it and making money to stay in business. But, you know, there are, there are entrepreneurs, and I might add, he doesn't have a penny, a penny of funding or um, other type of, of, of uh, income from any government source or grants or anything like that. He's just a really, really smart guy that put this together, has a passion for feeding Hawaii. And there's, there's other people like that, but we're hoping that that'll grow. What I, on the hub, our concept that we're working on, not just in Ocala as a potential for Ocala, but looking for a place here and possibly on Kauai as well, is what we'd like hub to hive. So a hub takes small producers. You, you might just have a mango tree, but you want to monetize the mangoes. And so they'll take all that and, uh, um, and then help bring that to market, pay for it, help it bring it to market. And so the smaller farmers feed into a hub. Um, what we'd like to see, which we think is one of the answers for these small farmers, is you take from the hub to what I'd refer to as a hive or a, or a hub aggregator where you can do value-added wash pack, food safety through a hooey so you don't have that expense. You know, the unfortunate thing about the documentary that they mentioned is they called FISMA compliance the farm killer. Well, that's really, really one of the dumber things I've heard because you that's the cost of admission to be food safe. And so I understand that if you don't like it, if you, I can understand that it's costly. So let's put a hooey together and share that cost among at the aggregators that help you do that. So the cost is a fraction of what it would be. But it's the, the beauty about this is, is you would have the economies of scale of a, of a large organization. You can share those economies with every member including the cost of food safety. These farmers will never put the value-added packaging or build big freezers or cold storage or, or, or other types of processes. But you can do that if you have 100 farmers contributing to the hive. Um, it also kind of reflects the Ahupua'a type community for community. Um, 
because I'm a big believer these need to be on all islands for that island specific. Um, our our slaughter processing on Kauai is um, our 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 beef program coming out of there is Kauai for Kauai only. That we don't want any product coming and leaving and going to another island because Kauai needs to move towards its own sustainability. I, and I believe that for all islands. Um, but this hive concept is has the economic wherewithal to be profitable without a grant, without subsidies, et cetera, as, as you start putting the economies of scale together. And so we're hopeful for that because we don't see a whole lot more money coming from the legislature. So you got to figure out how to do it without our leadership at the state level. Hopefully there'll be some, you know, I, I, I take that back. There's two things going on on Oahu that are worth noting. Donna Mandela Cruz in the Whitmore area with and and the pushing of just continuing to push towards sustainability. You have the new product development center um, that is happening. It's managed by Leeward Community. It's in the old Tomorrow's Warehouse in Wahiwa. And so high uh, high pressure processing and, and Donovan has been very active in all this. But taking that those systems to go how do we develop these products? How do we add shelf life? How do we add value add? So I see that as a huge step forward and hope to see that in, up in the other counties as well. Um, and so that could contribute into this kind of hub to hive to market. There's no grocer club or retailer that would not rather buy local if they could, if you can put it at a price that the consumer will buy. And so you need, you can either raise your price or or lower your costs through economies of scale. That's what we've had to do as a business. And I think the, the hope there is that this would also help the farmers kind of take those economies of scale and operate this as more of a business rather than a part-time hustle. Yes, and that hive model that you describe, I, I see that being done by Ulu Co-op, Oola Farms. Yes. Yeah, so I, yeah. Think, I think that is starting to happen here on the Big Island is where, where I live as well. And, um, and and Donna Shapiro from Ulu Co-op is an absolute pioneer, um, just a beast of, uh, you know, she uh, has done amazing things, almost through sheer will, and uh, and and you and you pray that more people like her will start coming to the front and uh, carrying some of this weight as well i think they were smart in in partnering up or having kind of their their mentor kumu of uh, organic valley right is is kind yeah. of a great model yeah. of success that that they're able to learn from it's it's funny you say that the i agree 100 percent. and organic valley is with my wife right now at ocala with our son ethan as we're going we we picked up the assets to ocala from a mainland CAFO they got sued out of existence with thousands and thousands of cattle in, in um, free stalls. They call them free, but you're basically penned in this enclosed area. So we bought the assets after they got sued because we felt we had no plan other than we felt like those, that, those, uh, that infrastructure should stay in Hawaii. Um, none of us are dairy farmers. Um, but we just felt like if we, if we, if we kept it here, we can figure it out over time. And the first thing we did is we invited the community that sued the dairy 
And they were like, well, what's your plan? Because they thought, you know, this must be some big dairy. And instead they found, you know, my wife and I standing there and I go, we don't have anything unless you're involved. And, and so now we're looking at, including meeting with Donna from Ulu Co-op and many others and, and Organic Valley, which I love their logo, uh, Think Big, Farm Small. Um, they came out and um, to just work with us on what a co-op would look like, what systems would look like with their expertise. And so, um, you know, how do we make this in harmony? It's never going to be a CAFO. I feel extremely strong feeling that, it, that there, Hawaii should never, ever, ever have a CAFO. Just to interrupt you for one sec. Could you just sure. define CAFO for us? So a CAFO is a concentrated animal feeding operation. If if you are in a very in a huge geographic area, dry, arid, hot, where you're the the effluent and, and you have the ability to treat that, that might make sense in some cases. When you're in an island state, you know, uh, one of the most isolated island places on planet Earth, in an ecosystem that is so fragile like Hawaii's with everything, you know, it, you know, on islands and everything's running downhill and all the indigenous and, and native species of plants and, and, and so on. When you stick that much to toxic waste of a concentrated animal feeding operation in one location, you destroy the location in my view. Um, the big Island dairy was an, uh, was a prime example of that. You can't concentrate that, you know, when you had, uh, there was a, an effort to put a, a dairy operation above uh, Kaloa on the island of Kauai and the, the hotels and the homes and the people around the, you know, all that were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, you know, and so they were, in my opinion, smart enough to say that makes no sense for where we're at right now. This also kind of lends to the idea of the hub to hive, because if you have smaller organizations evenly spread out, small owners, so in my view, big big ag is can be big trouble, and so, but you have community members that are putting their systems together, feeding it into, and so you have all that activity. That's it's more socially equitable. It's spread throughout the the island, and rather than these just concentrated. And you don't want, in my opinion, um, I'm 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 in a couple lawsuits, so I'm I'm careful to say in my opinion a lot. Um, you, you don't have that concentrated mess just waiting to dis destroy something, in my opinion. Well, is, and isn't it true that there's only one small dairy left on all the islands? That, that's, that's what I, I seem to yeah. have heard. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, it's, it's, uh, and, and that dairy produces the local milk for KTA under the Mountain Apple brand. Um, minus that, there's... You know, it's it's and 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 he is fighting uh, basically to stay alive and and stay operating. He's been on the news multiple times yeah. and uh, just really trying to make a big effort to still survive. Well, hopefully, you can get through the hoops and and help resurrect that Ocala dairy, or certainly yeah, use in meaningful ways for the community. It sounds like. So we're hoping for some agroforestry and some ulu and some other crops and turn the buildings into value added and cold storage to help farmers and and even some of the equipment there that could be shared 
Um, speaking of that dairy, that dairy in Havi that you're referring to is the state has it um, on deck to get transferred to another dairyman who's uh, has a family that wants to kind of breathe new life into it. That dairyman and his family have helped us kind of understand what's going on in Ocala and the different things and kind of giving us an education. And so we know that we're not going to have free stalls. We know we're not going to have a CAFO. We know we're, there's so much equipment over there. So it was like, we should grow feed for you because you're in that area is in drought quite often. Ocala is typically not. We could grow feed. We can put these resources, your direction, including some of this infrastructure that we'll never use at that level because we're going to, this needs to be diversified. So it's how do, how do we work together and cooperate together and use that kind of organic valley, smaller farmers feeding into, because we've got brand new cheese making, butter production. We want to do ice cream and yogurts and other things. And, and my wife's leading that charge, doing an amazing job. But it's how do we help each other rather than look at each other as competitors as far as farming goes. Yeah, we up and help feed the islands, yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I, as I understand it, you're the keynote speaker at the September Hawaii Ag Conference on Oahu. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did, how yeah. did you get roped into that? And and I'm I'm wondering if maybe we could have a little preview of, of yeah uh, what yeah. that message is. You know, I if if you're looking for the most unqualified person to speak at an ag conference, it would be me. Um, I I think the reason why um, the leadership for the ag conference um asked is i think there's an overall agreement the majority you, you never make everybody happy that local food locally raised and produced food needs to feed our own um and if you have we we've jumped in from our distribution our platform and that into helping farmers and producers. And now we're like trying to speed it up and moving into the Ocala project, the Kauai project, the Nihau project, and um, uh, helping with the log logistics for Maui Nui, moving their access deer that is the invasive that's causing problems with the farmers and ranches on Maui and exporting that to the mainland and helping do the logistics for that. So we're, we're, we're trying to accelerate our path towards helping Hawaii become more sustainable and food secure. And so it's, you know, what I can hopefully help people understand at that uh, conference is seeing the industry for how, how we see it as far as feeding Hawaii goes and trying to match rather than just boutique, but how do you take boutique and grow that through, um, collaboration and cooperation to actually meet the need of, uh, you know, it wouldn't be amazing if, you know, we clearly there's things that we'll still import, but if, if we could move that towards feeding our own and, and so providing an, you know, an, an overview of what it's like to feed our own and the, 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 the volumes that it takes, um, and then trying to pair the two and start connecting the dots. And so there's there's that. I, I think the other thing, because we're on the supply chain, if you're just bipping along and you're not aware of what's going on on a global scale, if you're not aware of what's happened to 
fertilizer pricing and the inputs and all, all that. If you're not aware of what's happened, you know, what's what's going on on the on the global supply chain and the global food production, um, you might think you're in a better position than you actually are. And so part of the what we're working on for this 45 minute talk um, at the the ag conference is bringing that to light, showing what that's like. Um, the Wall Street Journal this morning had an article on expect some countries are expecting civil unrest because of the food shortages. Well, you know, that's what you get when you're short of food. You get civil unrest in a big hurry in spades. And so m- matching that, um, and I, I'd like to, because we, <laughs> I haven't quite figured out yet. So this is still to be determined, but um, I think there's a, I think it says something about a society if it doesn't grow its own food. There's something about growing your own food and watching that and going through that process that you have a deeper appreciation for the earth, for the environment, for clean water, for clean soil, for all the things that make that possible. And when everything is just picked up at the store, prepackaged, imported from elsewhere, I think you lose part of your, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to pretty wild. I think you lose part of your soul. I, I think the community and the culture loses something by not growing your own food and feeling responsible and what that's like to take care of something as it takes care of you. And um, so trying to put that together, I, I still don't tell the, the leadership of the conference, I still don't have a full draft yet of what I'll be talking about. But uh, I'm pretending that I do. And so uh, hopefully we'll be able to kind of stitch this together in something that's coherent and, and, and people will take, you know, a lesson or two away. Um, you know, the, the Ag Conference in 2019, just before it got shut down for COVID, is, was my road to Damascus. That, that was literally when, when uh, David uh, uh, spoke up from Hyema saying, you know, about we have no food supply, we have no emergency supplies. And um, and I just thought that can't be possible. Albie Miles um, invited me to that. So I kind of blame him for any involvement I have in ag. And um, and so that was I'm hoping, you know, that that was a turning point in my life. And I'm hoping that maybe something can be said at uh egg conference 2022 that'll be a turning point in others lives as well that would be great looking forward to hearing hearing that keynote i think um yeah me too <laughs> I think, I think, uh, <laughs> once i figure out what the heck it'll be <laughs> five minutes before right yeah yeah that's typically how it goes no i think one of the core messages i'm hearing anyway from from what you just said is that Without food security, we have no security, really. So, um, period. It sounds Full like it has to yeah. yeah. Um, any yeah. final words or message or advice you want to share for our Hawaii Ag producers out there? You know, I, and I'm not sure what, what shape this will take. Um, I, I don't think anybody at the legislature listens unless there is a unified 
loud voice and that the numbers are big enough to move them, to keep them in or move them out at will. And I don't see, I see a lot of fragmented, you know, you, you've got uh, so many different kind of subgroups of the ag industry here. And I, I do not see a unified voice. And I'm hoping that somehow, some way, there can be a unified voice, uh, uh, literally a, a, a movement that shows up and has the ability to fill the capital square and, uh, you know, just really move us toward in the right direction. Cause I, I don't see anything else that moves people or, or, or our leaders. And so I'm hoping that somehow, some way we stop looking at the things that divide us in the ag community and go, here's the common thing that we know. And, and, and we need to feed our own. We need to be sustainable, particularly moving into the future. Um, and so how do we do this together and hold hands, um, and, and, and work together in that way. So that's, that's, you know, I, and I don't know enough to, you know, if there's somebody that's doing that already, you, you know, you must not be doing a great job because no one knows who you are. Um, so let's work better at that. And, and I don't know what the, I don't, I just know that that's necessary. And, and so how do we do that is more of a question than, you know, that I have right now. And, and, but I know if we do that, if we achieve that, um, I think great things can happen. You just need the lobby. You need the numbers to lobby. And so how do we get those numbers to get, you know, even those 7,000 farmers, wherever they are. Yep. And like you said, there's less than 1% of the budget is uh, ag and, and we don't have a big lobby. Like, I mean, we're competing with education and, and health and all those for, for budget dollars too in Hawaii. Yeah. So I think um, some of the, some of the unions and some of the co-ops I think are trying to, bring people together and focus on legislative issues and get people to, to submit testimony, which is easier than ever, at least. Because yeah, yeah, that it is. Yeah. That it is. We want to thank Chad for his time and insights and for helping light a necessary fire under us to help us realize how fragile our food infrastructure really is, but also discuss ways we can be better prepared for the next natural disaster or supply chain shortage, which is sure to come. It is also great to hear ways Hawaii Food Service Alliance is helping lead the charge for more local food production, distribution, and some much-needed efficiencies. And I and I I'd love to see seven thousand angry farmers at the uh, legislature um, doing what angry, angry farmers should do. If you look at other countries, it's like man, those guys can get a little tinkled, right? They can stir some things up. So how do we do that here and, and move that? You know, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm hoping if if we set a date, it sounds like you you have access to planes and boats. So maybe we set a date. We get them all <laughs> on your planes and boats and bring them over. <laughs> yeah. We'll import the farmers to raise hell. Yeah, <laughs> that's maybe, a good idea. Maybe we'll work on that. <laughs> right. Well, I appreciate all your time, um, all the work you're doing. I think um, you have some great ideas and have helped actually move things forward in ways that that many have have wanted to, but have perhaps not been able to. So thank you again. And, and thanks for all that you do for, for agriculture in Hawaii. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Seeds of Wellness and CTAR and, and the work that you're doing and uh, bringing this voice 
to those uh, across our state and, and even further away. So uh, mahalo. Thank you very much. The intention of this podcast series is to create a safe space for respectful and inclusive dialogue with people from across a broad and diverse spectrum involved in growing and making accessible the food we share together. A diversity of voices, perspectives, and experiences can serve to deepen mutual understanding, to spark creative problem solving, and provide insight into the complexities of our agricultural system. If you, our listeners, have experiences with Hawaii agricultural ecosystems from small, older farms to large, even including multinational agricultural industrial companies, or anywhere in between, and you would like to share your story, please contact us. We welcome your voices and perspectives.